Hey, faithful listener, welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Acts. Hello, faithful listeners. Happy voting day. Today, we're going to be discussing Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, and we're going to be actually talking politics a little bit today. Speaking of voting day, (laughs) but biblical politics, I should say. So let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 11 out of the W.E.B. or the version of the Bible that you prefer to read out of. But I have my cup of coffee here with me today on this chilly Tuesday morning. So make sure to grab your cup of coffee as well. And let's go ahead and enjoy reading God's word together. Now about that time, King Herod stretched out his hands to oppress some of the assembly. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to the four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after Passover. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but constant prayer was made by the assembly to God for him. The same night, when Herod was about to bring him out, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Guards in front of the door kept the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Stand up quickly. His chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. He did so. He said to him, Put on your cloak and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He didn't know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went out and went down the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I truly know that the Lord has sent out his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from everything the Jewish people were expecting. In verse 1, it mentions King Herod. Now, this is not the King Herod we read about when Jesus was first born. This isn't even the King Herod that sent Jesus to his death. You know, the creepy King Herod that liked his daughter-in-law, that creepy King Herod or his stepdaughter, I guess she was. I don't know what she was. It wasn't that King Herod either. This is the nephew of creepy King Herod is the one we're hearing about today. So this would have been King Herod Antipas, I'm pretty sure. So it says about that time, King Herod stretched out his hands to oppress some of the assembly. So it became very popular for the Christians to become oppressed at this point in time. This would have been about 12 to 15 years, possibly after Jesus ascended back up into heaven, maybe longer, actually. But now this King Herod decides that he wants more fame than what he already has, and he wants the people to like him. So he starts oppressing the Christians. And this is definitely something that's been repeated throughout all of history, basically, is it's very popular a lot of times to oppress Christians or to persecute Christians for political leaders. Like, it's a popular thing for for them to do. That's why we see so much Christian persecution throughout the ages, is because people typically don't like Christians. And so if a government leader gets rid of the Christian problem for the rest of the population, the uh, government leader often gains some popularity 
for that. And that's exactly what's happening here. King Herod Antipas wants to, to gain some brownie points with the, uh, with the Jews. So it says he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And this just kind of came out of nowhere because James was a very, very popular disciple. He, you know, James and John, the two disciples that were like always with Jesus, the sons of thunder is what Jesus called them. That's that James that this Herod killed. And James was the first of the disciples to get martyred. Basically, all of them got martyred, except John, James' little brother. (laughs) He was the only one that didn't get martyred that we know of. He got exiled, which I imagine is probably pretty bad as well. Like living in complete loneliness on a creepy island by yourself somewhere is pretty bad. But John was the only one that didn't get martyred out of all of the disciples. And James, John's brother, was the first to get martyred. So it says he killed James with the sword. So that likely means that he beheaded James. And this is very sad. And you got to wonder, reading this portion, why didn't God spare James, but yet he spared Peter from the same fate as James? One of the biggest questions I've always had is, why didn't Jesus go save John the Baptist? Remember, because John the Baptist himself got beheaded by the other creepy King Herod. And Jesus could have gone and rescued John the Baptist, but he never did. So you got to wonder sometimes, like, why does God save some people from death and he doesn't save other people from death? Now, of course, everybody dies and everybody is going to die at some point in time. But you just got to wonder why God doesn't save certain people at certain times. I don't know. But I'll talk more about that in a second. So it says that Herod killed James with the sword, likely beheading him. And then in verse three, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So that was it. He, I mean, that was the only reason this Herod was doing this was because, once again, he wanted to get some brownie points with the Jews. He wanted to gain popularity with the crowds. So he attacked the early church. So he seizes Peter also, intending to do the exact same thing to Peter that he had just done to James. It says this was during the days of unleavened bread. So what that means is the Passover, you know, the week long uh, holiday for the Jews. And so Peter was seized during Passover, which is interesting because that was also when Jesus (laughs) was seized. And I'm going to guess Peter thought that this was the end. He probably thought this was the end because Jesus had told him back in the book of John that Peter would die if Peter kept following Jesus. Basically, Jesus said directly to Peter, they are going to bind you and take you away to a place you don't want to go. And that's basically Peter's death is what Jesus was saying. Yet Peter still chose to follow Jesus in spite of that and and knowing that this could be his end. And he probably thought that this was the end. They're binding him. They're leading him away. That's the end of his life. So when they had arrested him, they put Peter in prison and delivered him to the four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So they held Peter in prison for a few days, possibly a week. So now Peter has several days to sit there and wait for his demise, basically. So the soldiers are guarding Peter. 
Peter's waiting for his death after the Passover because I imagine that Herod wanted to wait till after the Passover because once again, he's trying to get the popularity with the Jews. And so the Jews really liked Passover. So Herod wasn't going to execute Peter during the Passover. He was going to wait till after that holiday was done and uh, the Jews were back to their normal life. That was when he was going to behead Peter. So verse five, Peter was being kept in the prison, but constant prayer was made by the assembly to God for him. So the church is praying incessantly for Peter at this time period, because what just happened to James? You know, they they saw what happened to James. They know Peter is going to have the same thing happen to him. Peter is likely still married at this point in time. And I'm sure his wife is distraught. I'm sure the church is distraught because Peter is like the rock, right? <laughs> That's literally, literally what Peter means is he's the rock that the church was built on. So I'm sure the church was very, very distraught that Peter was being held in prison to be beheaded. So they're praying for him constantly. It says constant prayer. This means that morning, noon, and night, the church was praying for Peter. So verse six, the same night when Herod was about to bring him out, Peter was sleeping between the two soldiers bound with two chains. So soldiers, it doesn't say the soldiers were sleeping, by the way, it just says Peter was sleeping. So the two soldiers have chains connected to their wrists onto Peter's wrists. And Peter is sitting there sleeping. And then suddenly this angel stood by Peter and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. So this angel is all of a sudden like standing in the cell and like slaps Peter to wake him up. <laughs> this angel is not very nice, actually. If you look at it, he, he slaps Peter or strikes Peter to wake him up. And he's like, stand up quickly. So, I mean, this angel was very impatient with Peter, either because Peter's life was deeply in danger and the angel had to move very fast. Or for some reason, he was kind of mad at Peter. Now, why would an angel be mad at Peter? Maybe here's kind of what I'm thinking. You know, it doesn't specifically say that Peter was praying at all in this cell. Maybe Peter had just given up. Like maybe Peter was like, this is the end. I don't know. I'm done. Maybe Peter's faith was just not where it should have been. You, know, you get what I'm saying? And so maybe the angel was kind of irritated at that. I don't know, though. I don't know. I'm not going to say that the angel was like angry at Peter, but it doesn't say that Peter was praying in prison. It only says that the congregation was praying for Peter in that prison. Anyway, he hits Peter, <laughs> wakes him up and he's like, stand up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. Now, what the heck would the, the soldiers be doing at this point? They're not doing anything. We don't know anything about what the, the soldiers were thinking. What had happened here? Maybe this angel, when he struck Peter, he made Peter like invisible. I don't know what happened, but somehow the soldiers did not recognize that anything was up somehow. So the angel tells Peter to get up and to get dressed. He says, get dressed and put on your sandals. And so that's what Peter did. And he said, put on your coat and follow me. So Peter starts following the angel. And this is why I think that maybe... Just maybe Peter's faith might not have been where it should have been because uh, it says here that Peter didn't know that what was being done to him by this angel was all real. He thought he was seeing like a vision. So <laughs> so Peter thinks he's in this like really realistic vision. 
And he starts following the angel out and they're passing the guards with no problems at all. And it says they get to the iron gate that leads out into the city. And the gate just like opens by itself. And the angel and Peter go out. And suddenly, once they're out on the street, a little ways away, the angel departs from Peter. So the angel is suddenly just gone. (laughs) And Peter wakes up. He's like, oh my gosh, everything that just happened to me was real. (laughs) And so Peter figures out that it wasn't a vision. It was actually happening to him. And he's in the middle of the street now and gets to go on his way. So he realizes that God had just spared his life. And so that's what he says here in verse 11. Now I truly know that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from everything the Jewish people were expecting. So now Peter gets it. He gets that God truly saved his life. But that brings me back to my original question. Why does God sometimes save certain people and not others? Why did God save Peter and not James? There's a verse that I I forgot to look up, but I remember it. It says something along the lines of when people die, God is sometimes sparing those people from something worse that is going to happen in the world. Now, that's kind of a uh, perplexing verse because a lot of people think that the worst thing that could happen to you is death, (laughs) right? What, What could be worse than death? And yet God says that sometimes he uses death to save people from more terrible things. Let me look up that verse real quick, actually. It's Isaiah 57, verse 1, and I'm going to read it, read it out of the NLT. Good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. But no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. And I mean, depending on the version you read, it says something a little bit different. But that means that God sometimes uses death, which we think of as the worst possible thing, to protect somebody from something more terrible. Now, the reason God doesn't think of death as the worst possible thing is because God understands the reality of life after death, whereas we do not. We don't comprehend that as well. We can read Jesus's words and believe that there is a life after death, but we don't comprehend it because we are living in the here and now, and we don't quite understand what's going to happen to us after we die, right? Like we we don't know how death feels like. It sounds very scary, and it's very natural for a human being to be scared of death because death is unnatural. Death is unnatural. God did not create death when he created the world. It wasn't until the humans destroyed things that death entered into the world. And then, you know, that's that's how we get death now. So death is not natural. And that is why we humans fear it. It's because we don't understand it. We don't like it. It is unnatural. It is not how it was not our original design. However, God saved us from a spiritual death. And so even though our bodies may die, God understands that our spirit, our souls do not die if we believe in him. It says right here, the righteous person perishes. No one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away. No one understands that the righteous are being taken away to be spared from evil. Notice how it says multiple times, 
the word devout and righteous. The devout and righteous person is spared sometimes from evil when they die because their souls go on to live with God in eternity. These are people that love God, that believe in Jesus as their savior, that believe that Jesus is God in human flesh. They are the ones who sometimes get spared from evil when their earthly bodies die because their souls go on to live in eternity. So it's kind of interesting because though God did not create death from the very beginning, God can sometimes use death to protect a righteous person from having to face something even worse than death. And so possibly the reason God didn't spare James or John the Baptist was because it was a mercy for them to experience death because they got to be in heaven living this eternal perfect life more quickly and and being spared from something even worse here on earth. So if you had a loved one who died recently, don't forget that God can even use their death. Sometimes God uses the most horrific thing, which is death, in order to give them eternal life and to spare them from whatever is coming next here on earth. Alrighty, faithful listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and that it made you think. Make sure to go out and vote today. And I also hope that you check out all the links listed in the description of this podcast episode. But I will see you guys for an episode out of Judges tomorrow. We're going to be finishing up Judges and moving into the book of Ruth very, very quickly here. And actually, we'll be finishing up season six at the beginning of next month. I think December 2nd will be the last day we're in season six and we'll move into season seven. Alrighty, faithful listeners, have a fantastic rest of your day. Happy listening. And God bless.